Uh, my name is Matt Luloyan. If we haven't met, um, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at Liberty Church. Uh, and it's just a privilege again to be with you every week. Um, it's a joy to come. I have weeks that are better, some better and some worse than others. Uh, it's been a, one of the harder ones for me uh, for a couple of reasons. But um, it's just a joy to gather with you and come however we come on a Sunday morning and be in the room together, join our voices together in worship. So I'm grateful and privileged to not just get to lead uh, here at this church, but to be part of it myself. So um, thank you for who you are and the gift that it is to, to know so many of you. Um, if you have Bibles, go ahead and make your way to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to be in the Gospel of Matthew today. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, that's going to be on page 819 is where we're going to be. One other thing I wanted to mention, we had... Uh, over 50 uh, women from our church and friends and neighbors uh, come to a paint night on Friday night. I've gotten to see a couple of the finished products. They're impressive. Um, so well done to you ladies um, for uh, getting together. I heard it was a great time, uh, just a good time to connect and eat some good food together and paint, uh, express some creativity together. So um, just want to continue to encourage us. Let's continue to connect as people when we have opportunities like that to get to know each other better. And I'm um, just glad to hear how well that went um, on, on Friday night. We are continuing uh, in our series in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And the, kind of, the way it will kind of play out from here through just after Easter, we're just going to hit a few selected passages along the way. So we spent a lot of time in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. It's kind of like one, two, skip a few. We're going to do a little bit uh, now in Matthew 13, and we'll do a little bit more uh, as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which comes at the very end of the gospel. So we won't get to the opportunity to do a real thorough treatment uh, of this gospel, but I hope that you at least kind of feel a little bit of the, the flavor and trajectory of the entire book as we do that. Today, uh, we're in Matthew 13, and I was originally planning on doing verses 44 through 52, but I got so caught up and excited about the first three verses of that that we're just going to stop there. So we're just going to do 44, 45, and 46. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear the worth of your kingdom. We pray that we would perceive the value of it as these men in these parables perceive it. And we pray that it would be our joy to trade everything that we have to lay hold of your kingdom. We, we come in this morning in a, in, a, in a variety of places. We don't necessarily perceive your kingdom as worthy like that, as so valuable like that. But we pray that your word would do work in our hearts that we cannot do, that my words could not do. Uh, we pray, Spirit, that you would just help us to perceive, Jesus, who you are and the kingdom that you've inaugurated, God's kingdom, and all the value that it has. So grant that to us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Matthew 13 is uh, one of Jesus' long discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. There's five of them. This is one of them. And it's filled with parables. 
Parables are really just stories that, that are used to teach. They have main points, and Jesus uses them throughout his ministry to teach people all about God's nature, um, all about God's work in the world, all about human nature and how we relate to other people and how we relate to God and his kingdom. The parables here in, in chapter 13 specifically are all about the kingdom of God, parables of the kingdom. So in our time together this morning, three questions that I want for us to explore, to, uh, to explore together. One is, what is God's kingdom? The second is, how do we discover God's kingdom? And then the third one is, what do we do once we've discovered it? Or how do we respond to God's kingdom? So first, what is God's kingdom? As soon as we get into the New Testament, as soon as we kind of flip over a few pages from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we start to read a lot about the kingdom of God. Or sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. Different gospel writers use different terminology in a, to, to kind of speak to their different contexts and the audiences that they're writing to. Because there are so many passages in the gospels in particular, but then through the rest of the New Testament as well, about the kingdom of God, it can be difficult to, to wrap our minds around, like, what is that exactly is Jesus talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God? And so I really appreciate how a pastor and an author named John Piper Um, summarize this into a few key points. He says this about the kingdom of God. It's a rule or reign, not mainly a realm or a place. So often in our minds we think about kingdom as being a a territory, a a geographic location. And what John Piper's saying here is don't think about it as that so much, although it intersects those places. Think about it more as a rule or a reign. Specifically, Piper says, it's the saving and redeeming reign of God. So not just any reign or any kingdom, it's the, it's the saving and redeeming reign of God. And then the third thing he says is that it's present in part, but it's not yet fully realized. So let me explain all that just a little bit, a little bit more. We, we see in Scripture that God is the one who has created everything. He reigns and rules over all that is. But almost immediately after God creates everything and then calls it good, sin enters the world through our rebellion against God. And it leads to the brokenness, the fracture, the corruption of really everything else that has been created that was originally created as good. And so therefore, we don't experience the kingdom of God. We don't experience the the fullness of God's rule the way that he intended for us to experience because of sin. But with Jesus coming to earth, this new era of redemptive history is inaugurated. And you've probably noticed on the covers of your bulletins over the past couple months, we're calling this series A New Beginning. And Alethea Malat did some fantastic artwork for us to represent that. There's a, a little story about that on the inside cover of your bulletin as well. But this is one of the main reasons why we call this series A New Beginning. Jesus inaugurates something new in the redemptive work that God is doing in the world. And when Jesus begins his ministry, one of the things he goes around proclaiming, one of the first things he says is, Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he's saying there is that what he is doing, being in the world, through his life and through his death and resurrection, Jesus is about to accomplish this decisive victory over Satan and over sin and over death. And with that defeat, with that victory, the the ultimate triumph of God and his people for all of time, that's secured. It's locked up because of what Jesus has done. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand, and that ultimately means the rebellion that's existed against God since the beginning, not quite since the beginning of the world, but close, since the fall, that will come to its end. 
And that's why we talk about God's kingdom being not just any kind of reign of God, but the saving and redeeming reign of God. And there's two elements to that. As Piper said, it's present in part, but it's not fully realized. And sometimes you'll hear me or other people speak about that in shorthand and talk about it and say, this is the already, but the not yet. And what that means when we say that is that Jesus' earthly ministry, it, it inaugurates the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And because of that, because of Jesus' work, we can really start to experience life underneath the reign and the rule of God right now. We don't have to wait for some future date to begin that. But the other side of that is the the not yet. Because though God's kingdom is inaugurated in Jesus, it's not consummated, it doesn't come to its fullness until Jesus comes again. And in that time in between, Jesus is in the process we read in places like Colossians, of reconciling the world to himself. So Jesus here makes a very bold proposition in these parables that we read this morning. That God's kingdom is a treasure without equal. Now treasure may or may not be a word that that resonates with you when you think about the reign of God. Treasure is a strong word. Overwhelmingly positive word. Something of great worth and great value. So for a lot of people in our world, and a lot of people in our neighborhoods, and no doubt even a lot of people in this room today or on certain days, we don't feel like God's kingdom is the treasure that Jesus proposes that it is in these words. Maybe... Maybe it feels like it has a negative connotation. Maybe God's rule and reign feels intimidating, unnerving for some reason. Uh, Maybe it it just feels neutral to you. It's like neither positive nor negative. God reigns, and it kind of is what it is. Regardless of where you place yourself in that, what I hope is that these parables from Matthew 13, that that Jesus' words there, that they would move each of us a little bit more into perceiving the worth and value and treasure of the kingdom, of the work that Jesus has done in the world. And I think one of the things that helps me begin to do that is to think about how often I'm tempted to minimize and reduce what the kingdom of God really is. We often miss the worth of who Jesus is. We often miss the worth of what he has done in the world. We miss the scope and the scale of that. And we often shrink it down because we tend to be selfish people who, who look at life through our own lenses and think about ourselves first, We often tend to shrink that down only to what God does in us as individuals. And what God does in us as individuals is hugely important to the kingdom of God. This individual work that God does in each of our hearts is central to the good news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel is just so much more than that. The scope and scale of the gospel is that we are, as individuals, being reconciled to God as part of God's bigger reconciliation of all things to himself. God is restoring everything that has been broken by sin to its original goodness. God is putting down all the rebellion that persists against him so that we don't feel the fracture and the corruption and the brokenness of sin in our world anymore. It's a cosmic scale and scope on which Jesus does this work. It's God making his blessings flow, like we sing at Christmas time in the song Joy to the World, as far as the curse is found. And it's like this children's author named Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it. It's God taking all of the sad things and making them, through Jesus, untrue. So only 
as we begin to scratch the surface of that, that cosmic scale, do we start to grasp the worth of the kingdom of God. And only then are we really starting to see just how amazing it is that Jesus has come into the world to die on a cross, to rise from death, to ascend back to God, to return again. Only then will we begin to see Jesus and his kingdom, this kingdom that he inaugurates as a treasure, like these parables indicate. So God's kingdom is a treasure, Jesus says. And yet the worth of that is not obvious to us because sin blinds us to it often. So the question then is, how do we discover God's kingdom? How do we discover it? These two parables, and perhaps you heard it as we read them this morning, they're incredibly similar. They both have a person in them. They both have a treasure in them. There's a discovery made in each of them, and there's a response But they're not identical. And there's a reason, I think, that Jesus tells them back-to-back like this. It's because not everyone discovers the treasure of God's kingdom in the exact same way. And each of these parables highlights one of the ways, generally speaking, that the kingdom is discovered. So I'll call them the stumble and the search. Stumble and the search. So first, the stumble. Uh, Ever since I was... A kid, I've been a Philadelphia Eagles fan, which is a unique form of cruel and unusual punishment, self-inflicted. But there was a stretch there in the mid-2000s where actually it looked okay for us. It was a bright spot for the Philadelphia Eagles. And in 2005, uh, I was in college. I was a junior in college that year. And it was February, and the Eagles were about to play the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So just before midnight on Saturday, the day before uh, Super Bowl Sunday, one of my friends came over to the apartment where I was living at the time. His uncle was a ticket dealer in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we were at, in school. And his uncle had gotten some, his hands on some tickets for the Super Bowl. But he hadn't been able to sell one particular pair of them for any kind of decent profit, so he decided to give them to his nephew and a friend of his choosing to go to the game. So less than 24 hours before kickoff, you know, just before midnight the day of the game, uh, this, my friend knocks on the door and says, do you want to go to the Super Bowl? And we did, of course, what anyone who's in college at that point would do, regardless of classes or homework or anything like that. We got in the car immediately with an overnight bag and a change of clothes, and we hit the road. Uh, in 2005, the Super Bowl was in Jacksonville, Florida, 16 hours or so away from where we were uh, in Fort Worth. So uh, we calculated it out to the, the, we would like arrive about 30 minutes prior to kickoff if we hit the road at that exact moment. So we, we thought it was worth the risk, and we, we got on the road and, and left. Around uh, 3 a.m., so about three hours in, we were somewhere in East Texas through the small towns out there, and he gets a call on his cell phone from his uncle. A couple from Philadelphia had flown in late to Jacksonville and was doing whatever they could to get their hands on some tickets, offered uh, his uncle $6,000 for this particular pair of tickets. And I was in college at the time, so I'd heard that this amount of money existed. I was, I was familiar with the idea that $6,000 was possible to have in your bank account, but no, no way was I going to spend anything close to that. I didn't have it. So we turned around, uh, and I dropped him off at an airport where he could catch a flight to fly to Florida to hand the tickets to his uncle so he could sell them to this other couple. All that to say, even though I didn't end up getting to go, uh, this, is, this is how you stumble into something. This is how you stumble into something. I I was not looking to go to the Super Bowl that year. I was not looking to buy tickets to the Super Bowl. They quite literally showed up at my doorstep a few hours before the game started. 
And some people find the kingdom of God by stumbling into it. They aren't looking for it. It just falls into their lap, seemingly out of nowhere. And that's the story of the man, the parable of the man who finds the treasure hidden in a field. This man is not a treasure hunter. He's not seeking a treasure. He's not out there with his metal detector, if they even existed at the time. He doesn't roll out of bed that morning thinking, today I'm going to find the most valuable thing I've ever laid eyes upon in my life. He happens upon this treasure as he ventures through a field. In Jesus' day, it wasn't all that uncommon to bury treasure in the earth. Uh, There were no security deposit boxes. Um, There were no high-tech safes and security systems, things like that. So it's one of the best ways to keep things safe from thieves. But what was uncommon, what would be really a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, was to stumble upon treasure when you had no intention to look for it at all. And as some of you reflect on this, this is how some of you encountered and discovered the kingdom of God. You stumbled into it. You weren't searching for spiritual truth. You weren't contemplating or considering different worldviews or different religions. Something happened in your life. Maybe it was overwhelmingly negative. Maybe it was overwhelmingly positive. Maybe it was just kind of an everyday scenario. But for some reason, something happened that interrupted your life and it overwhelmed you. You started to see something of the beauty and the reality of Jesus. And if that's you, I would say you stumbled into the kingdom. There's another way, though, that people discover God's kingdom. That's the search. So for me, I, I know absolutely nothing about jewelry. But if you go back a few years to March of 2008, I was immersed in learning as much as I possibly could about jewelry. It was a lot of my time and energy. I had just gotten back from talking to my now in-laws, uh, asking for their blessing to marry their daughter, who is, who is Shay. And I had, this, I had this few-week gap between when I was going to propose and when I had gone down there. So I devoted those few weeks to, to the one thing that I had left to complete the, the picture, which was to find and buy uh, an engagement ring. So I started to look. And if you've ever shopped for an engagement ring, you know that can be a very involved and laborious process. And that's even more true when you're working like an entry-level job for a nonprofit and still trying to get something nice for, for your soon-to-be, soon-to-be wife. So I did all kinds of research on the four C's, which like, you know, if in case you've never done this before, that's like not a nautical term or like a music group from the 50s or something like that. Color, clarity, carrot, and cut. There's, there's four kinds of things you have to think about when you think about buying a diamond engagement ring. All this kind of stuff that I had no idea even was true before, but I had to, to learn. Spent hours online, went to a number of different stores to find the right engagement ring. And then... After hours and hours, in these few weeks in between, I found it. I found an engagement ring that met the budget I could afford and also would be something meaningful to to my wife. And some people find the kingdom of God by searching diligently for it. Like my engagement ring search. Some people only find it after they've been intentionally and consciously looking at it for a period of time, sometimes a long period of time. And this is the parable of the pearl merchant. He's made it his job, right? It's the object of his life. He's a merchant to search for valuable things, valuable treasures, valuable pearls specifically. And he goes from city to city and he goes from market to market in search of these treasures. And then all of a sudden, he finds it. This one great pearl. And it's like nothing that he's ever encountered before 
in all of his searching. This man's looking very intently. It's his job. He does this for a living. He's looking intently. We don't know for how long. But he looks for, for some period of time, and then he finds this pearl of great value, and then the search is over for him. And this is how others of you here discovered the kingdom of God. Some of you spent years of your life, maybe decades of your life, searching for truth, in search of something that's worth believing, in search of someone or something that's worth following. Maybe you considered or contemplated different religions or different worldviews until you, in one way or another, encountered the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And for whatever reason, in that search, you found something that you had never found before, and it captured your attention, and it captured your awe, and your search came to an end. Now, there are others of you, and I assume even here today, that aren't in either of these places. Yet you haven't stumbled into the kingdom. You're still searching. Or maybe even you're not searching. You've given up even searching. Either way, you're at this point where you haven't come to discover that God's kingdom, as Jesus says in this parable, is a treasure without equal. And if that's you, let me just offer you this thought, if I might be so bold. That whether you believe the gospel of Jesus to be true or not, you want it to be true. Whether you believe it or not, you want it to be true. Because if, if, you, if you and I recognize that something is wrong, with this world. And I think we all do. I think that's human nature for us to recognize something is not right in the world in which we live. And if we recognize that, don't we long for something to come along and make what, has, what is wrong right again? The pinnacle of so many other worldviews, of so many other religions, is simply avoiding or escaping the wrongs that, that happen or exist in this world. But the gospel of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, says that all of the wrongs because of Jesus will eventually be made right. So we don't have to ignore everything that's wrong with this world. And we don't have to attempt to escape this world as if there was some kind of eject button or avoid it or to try to achieve some kind of higher plane where we get to live outside of it. No, because the, the kingdom of God says that right in the midst of it, Right in the midst of it, Jesus is making all things new. So hunger and injustice and poverty and abuse and cancer and death, those things are with us today. And yet they will not be with us when God fully reconciles the world to himself in Jesus. And whether we believe that or not, we want that to be true. There's something deep in our souls that longs for that to be true. I've had one of those weeks where I wish there was an eject button because if there was, I would have hit it this week. I would have hit it this week. And maybe I know some of you have had a week like that. I know some of you have had a week far worse than mine. We want to hit that eject button, which some worldviews and religions claim is there. Just avoid that stuff or just think positively. The ridiculousness of that. The kingdom of God says, don't avoid it, don't escape it. Jesus will make it new right in the midst of it. He's making all things new. We long for this to be true. This is one of the things when I wrestle with my own deep doubts, I come back to this all the time, that I want this to be true. And praise God, Jesus says it is true. So whether we stumble into it, whether 
Uh, we search for it. My hope for all of, all of you and those of you who have not discovered the kingdom of God is that you would discover it. So we've talked about what the kingdom of God is. We've talked about how you discover it. Lastly, how do we respond to the kingdom of God? What do we do when we discover it? And in light of what Jesus teaches here in these parables, the answer is that we lay hold of it. Once we discover it, how do we respond? Lay hold of the kingdom of God. Grab onto it. Jump into it. And as we see here in these parables, do that with urgency. And do that with joy. And do that with a wholehearted devotion. There's an immediate kind of urgent response from these two men in these parables. They don't delay. They don't wait around for a while to see how it's going to play out. Nor do they view this as if it were some kind of burdensome or sad occasion. It says above the first man, in his joy he sells everything that he has to buy the field to obtain that treasure. And of the pearl merchant, for someone who does this as a living, this is the culmination of an entire life of searching. So if we recognize the the kingdom of God as the treasure that it is, then it's really a happy occasion for us, a joyful thing for us to trade everything else that we have which pales in comparison for all that is better in the kingdom of God. And there's a kind of wholehearted devotion demonstrated here that in many ways is going to feel like a foreign concept to us in our culture and how many of us in our culture think about Christianity. Each of these men, regardless of how they discover it, one by the stumble, one by the search, each of these men sells everything he owns. All that he had, it says, he gave up to get the treasure or to get the the pearl. And we don't know if that was a lot or a little. We just know that that's the cost of laying hold of the treasure that they had discovered. In parables, we aren't meant to push every single detail of the story into some kind of application. They're not straight allegories where everything represents precisely something else. So here, like the kingdom of God is not for sale. You know, it can't be bought. It can't be earned. What Jesus is speaking about here instead is that is a a wholehearted devotion. Because these men, they face a decision. They're, They're finite men with finite resources. And they cannot simultaneously take hold of this treasure while holding on to their other possessions. So this discovery presents each of them with really a a choice. Is it going to be this treasure or is it going to be everything else that I own? They have to let go of one of those things to take hold of the other. And like these men for us, when we discover God's kingdom, we have that same decision to make. And though money, of course, is part of that, it actually goes so much deeper than that. It goes down to the root of our heart. What are we going to devote our lives to? What are we going to worship? What are we going to commit to being about as people? Our devotion is finite. We can't simultaneously devote our lives to God's kingdom and to all of these other things. Another way maybe to think about it is this. God's kingdom is not something that we add to our lives. And for us, who, are, who live in the West and are prosperous and largely educated and live in a world of options, that's something that's really frustrating and difficult for us to comprehend. That we can't just add God's kingdom to the rest of our lives. Right? We, we tend to, I think, in our culture, view life like a buffet line 
where we can take a little bit, as much as we want from this and as much as we want from that. So when we come to the, the religious course of the buffet meal, well then in the religious course, I've now got to pick. Am I going to pick Islam? Am I going to pick uh, Judaism? Am I going to pick Buddhism? Am I going to pick Christianity? Or are we going to do like what little kids do at the soda fountain and like mix 400 of them together all at once and try to drink it all at one, one time, which never tastes good, by the way. We, we tend to think of Christianity as like one of those options in the religious compartment of our lives. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says God's kingdom is a completely new way of life. So when we discover it, there's this decision that has to be made. Is it going to be our current situation or is it going to be a new one? Is it going to be life as we have known it or is it truly going to be a new beginning as we're talking about in this series in Matthew? We must let go of one to take hold of the other. And to lay hold of the kingdom of God, Jesus says here, emphasizes it back-to-back parables in a main point. To lay hold of the kingdom of God is a wholehearted endeavor. So a few questions for us to consider. It's not, it's not hard to perceive the main message that Jesus is trying to get at here in these parables. But it leads us to ask some really important questions of ourselves. Where have we lost sight of this? Where, where do we try to make Jesus and the kingdom that he inaugurates an add-on to our lives rather than the treasure that we would trade everything else in our lives to lay hold of? Maybe another question. Where have you lost your joy? Where have you lost your joy because you, you, you've forgotten or you, you just can't perceive the worth of God's kingdom? The idea that, that God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, that you are caught up into this cosmic work that God is doing, and what that means for all of the wrongs that will be righted in the world. Where have we lost sight or the ability to perceive the goodness of that that leads to our joy? Or where have we lacked the urgency to lay hold of this most valuable treasure that the world has ever known? Where do, we, where do we kind of give ourselves a pass to say, someday I'll get to that. Let me get through this season that I'm in right now. Let me get to some date down the road. I think Will did a great job this morning in opening our time together as we talk about Lent and think about our mortality we, we aren't promised those things. We aren't promised that we have those times down the road to get to the things that are important. So where do we lack the urgency that's important and necessary for us to really lay hold of the kingdom of God? And my prayer for us, church, is that we would truly see whether you never have before or whether you have and it just becomes blurry to, to us from time to time, that we would come to see God's kingdom as the greatest treasure in the world. And then whether we come to that by stumble or whether we come to that by searching, that we would recognize there really is no greater discovery than this. So may we discover it and then with urgency and with joy and with wholehearted devotion, may we lay hold of God's kingdom. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, the the kingdom that you brought is without equal. We sang about it this morning. Nothing can compare. And yet, the inclinations of our hearts is to compare it all the time. 
and in certain instances to, to count your, your kingdom as not quite as valuable as the things that we enjoy about our lives here. And we just, we just ask that you would uh, point out in our lives the places that we do that, the places, Jesus, that we treat you like an add-on to our lives rather than the whole thing. Pray that you would, in, especially in this season of Lent, guide us into repentance over those things. Point out where we have, where we have failed to, tr- to make the best trade in the world. All that we have, all the ashes that we have for your beauty, for all that is better. And help us to really um, to lay hold of your kingdom with all that we are and, and cast aside everything else that entangles and cast aside everything else that blurs our vision from you and really lay hold, Jesus, of, of the good work that you have done and are doing. We know we are weak. Uh, we know we are feeble. We know we are fickle. And we, we tend to go back to lesser things that are not treasures all the time. So as we come to this table this morning, I pray you would again strengthen and renew us. Remind us that you are a treasure. Stir that joy for you and that passion for you in our hearts this morning. Let me pray that in your name. Amen.